1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Next week is our 300th show. I don't know, I think I forgot to promote this last week, but if you want to get in uh, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that will enter you into a contest to win two free hours of assistance, whether from one of our admissions experts or one of our uh, finance experts, So I know that plenty of people need help on both the admissions and the finance side. So if you would like that to be you, go leave us a a review. And um, we're going to be selecting a name and announcing it on next week's show. Um, We're doing two segments on myths today. We have a lot of them out there floating around related to college admissions, related to college financial aid, um, related to merit aid, all that good stuff Uh, My personal favorite myth floating around right now is the idea that high school is two words. One word. It is not one word. It is two words. See, I can't even say it as, I can't even say it because I have no idea why this is happening. I don't know how many essays I've read this year where students are referring to it as high school, one word, is two words. Oh, and by the way, it's also not capitalized. Neither is freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, or senior year. Not proper nouns, okay? Okay myth dispelled. All right, before we get to that, we know that many of you are planning to submit applications with November 1 deadlines. It is probably the biggest deadline of the year, at least of the earlies. And um, we have some advice on how to know if you're ready to finally pull the trigger and press submit. And joining me today is my colleague, Joy Biscornet. Hi, Joy. Hi, Beth. So Good Joy- to see you today. Good to see you, too, Joy. As I mentioned, she works here with me at College Coach, and she also has done admissions at um, Boston College, at the University of Illinois, at Urbana-Champaign, at Lafayette, and at Ursinus. And on top of all that, she's also been a college counselor. So not only has she read lots of early stuff coming in, and but she has also sat with students while they were trying to decide like, am I ready to push the button? So, all this to say, Joy, you are the perfect person for us today. And I guess my first question to you is when students are getting close to the deadline and starting to think, geez, am I ready to submit? What are um, what is some of the advice that you give to them?
2: Well, the first thing that I, I will say to them is have you looked over your application and your essay more than once? Uh, So a lot of students will make that first draft, fill in the application and say, done. Without, yes. Because they're just so anxious, I think, and excited to, to just get that application in, especially that first one. I think getting over that first hurdle of pressing submit for the, the first time is a, is a really big deal. Um, but you don't want to do that too fast. So the first thing that I'll say is look at it more than once make sure that you've read all the questions in the application complete uh, completely, because sometimes the way a question is worded, you might think that you're supposed to check yes, but you check no, so you want to make sure that you go through and and with a with a clear head and have answered all of those questions correctly, and then you also want to take time for that essay, the, the the main college essay, whether it be for the Common App or the UCs, the four of them, or um, the Coalition App, to make sure that you've answered the prompt completely, that all of your thoughts that you wanted to share are in that essay, and that it, it makes sense. The first time uh, through for an essay is rarely the final, what will be the final draft. I would say never.
1: I, I have never, never <laughs> once have I read an essay that the student sat down and wrote and turned sent to me and I said, done. I have had essays that needed only some minor corrections, rare. But yes, I would have to agree with you. If all you've done is one draft of that essay, at the very least, you're going to need to do a second one, right? Yes. Yeah. What about on the flip side of that, you've done so many drafts that you can't, you're almost stuck in a in a spiral of, but I, it could be better. I need to make it better. And, you know, what do you say to those students?
2: I actually, at some points, I will be... And quite honest and say, if if you touch it anymore, you're going to start to make it worse. You're going to slide back and, you know, your revisions aren't going to be helpful. They're actually going to start to negatively impact the overall message that you've worked so hard to, to craft and uh, with an authentic voice and really make it sound like it's it's a an, an essay that only you could write. So when that happens, I will often recommend to a student, step away from your essay. Put it put it in your desk if you're writing notes. Hands up um, hand up, step back <laughs> and and go do something else, whether it be on, work on a supplemental essay for another application or do some school work or just take a walk outside, um, around <laughs> your, you know, around the block just to clear your head. Um, because oftentimes we're we're so invested in making this essay perfect that it feels like i can't be done i've worked on this for so long how how do how can i let it go but at right. that point that's when you know like if if you are doing minor edits a comma here you're deciding between is it is it a semicolon or a comma you, you're done <laughs>
1: right exactly exactly there is a point and perfectionism can be a problem in general and i think it really rears its head with college applications. And certainly you want to give it the attention it deserves, but you don't want to give it more attention than it deserves. And if it's right, if it's taking over your life, that's a bad sign. Right, right. Um, What, you know, one thing that I suggest to all the students that I work with is I ask them to have it proofread by someone else. There are a few different reasons for this, but one of the big ones is because Um, I've often seen everything that's in there so many times that if there was a a typo, I likely, and I haven't caught it yet, I'm probably not going to. And the student, same thing, your eye just kind of can gloss right over things sometimes. So what's your advice, um, in
2: terms of proofreading and things like that? Mm -hmm. Um, I will, one thing I will do for a student is I'll have them read the essay out loud Because reading it out loud is a little bit different than reading it to yourself. Because, like you said, Beth, you know, at this point, if this is your fourth or fifth time kind of reading through it, or you're on your what should be your final draft, um, you know what you want to say. So, oftentimes you can have words in your head that aren't actually there. So reading it out loud can actually help you catch typos or um, just uh, words that should be flipped or, or something like that. Uh, the other thing that I strongly recommend is, is sharing your essays with someone that you trust who hasn't been looking over it day after day for week after week. It could be a parent, it could be um, a teacher, it could be your school counselor, someone who knows you and that you trust to give you honest feedback and say, yeah, this looks great. You've done, you've done a solid job. This sounds like you. Um, so always a second set of eyes is invaluable. I wouldn't necessarily say, give it to a a friend because, um, they're going through the same process as you, and they might not have as much life experience as an adult to say, yeah, this is a great topic, or you might want to change. You might want to make this small revision. Um, and since it's a stressful time of year, um, you know, you don't want to add to the stress by showing your friend an essay and then having them worry, well, is my essay good enough because an essay is personal to the individual student. Right. And I think um, to that same end, I noticed
1: that you mentioned showing it to one person. So if you've already been working with someone on that essay or, uh, you know, you might, that might be the person. If you are thinking, well, I got one person's opinion. That was great. They loved it. Let me get five more people's opinion. That's when things really start to go off the rails. I am constantly amazed at people who decide that they think they know and are weighing in with advice and opinions that they aren't helpful um, and can, in fact, send students into a tailspin because the student is saying, this is my essay. It's done. It's done. Um, Can you just make sure? I'm not suggesting that you say, please rubber stamp it. But if you have a week to go before your deadline, you're not rewriting the essay at this point entirely, right? You're going to make little changes potentially. But too many cooks in the kitchen means that your voice is typically gone
2: by the end of that. So I think one, not multiple, would be my advice. I totally agree one person give another perspective and then take that the person's advice um into account while also remaining true to yourself. Um, yes. And this is a good suggestion. This sounds like something I want to add. Um, but don't just lose yourself um, in the essay because someone else has made suggestions. Right. And if you know that you're someone who is not going to be
1: able to ignore any feedback that you get, that's even more a reason to keep it to one person who you really trust, who you you think has good judgment. Because I've seen kids just come unglued from getting feedback from even two different people um, because they don't know how to leave aside what they don't agree with and incorporate what they do agree with.
2: So right and then you feel stuck in the middle and you who to trust and you don't even trust your own gut which is important for for making sure that the essay says what you need to say right exactly what you wanted to say um
1: you had another good um when you and I were talking about this beforehand you had another great thing that you say to a student you know when you're talking about if they're ready not to submit and i think this is really important Message for people to hear.
2: So, can you kind of share that feed that idea with all of us? Sure. When I'm done with my uh, feedback for students, and I've I've done all of the tweaks for grammar and everything like that, and I have nothing left to really offer as advice, I will ask a student, "What do you think of this essay? Are you proud of this essay? Proud of the work they put into it?" And for most students, it makes them take a beat. And they, they think about it. Can often see the look in their eye where they say, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I like this essay. And I'll say, is this something that you want to submit to an admission committee? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I think that's a good step in, in getting psyched up to press the submit button. And if a student is at all hesitant, then we'll talk about it to say, well, what's on your mind? why? you from, from feeling like this is your best work. And oftentimes it's just, you know, second guessing because this is such a big deal and just talk through it and acknowledging that it's, it's, uh, and a stressful time doesn't mean that I haven't done good work. So are you proud of it? Sounds Great. Grab the credit card to put in the information to pay for the application and move on. And be done with it, exactly. <laughs> Here's a
1: question for you. When you were reading applications, ever read a perfect application? Ever said to yourself, oh my god, this is perfection, and you know, I've never read one like it, and I never will again.
2: Ever have that happen? Oh, because <laughs> students aren't per. No one is perfect. I've read essays that I've looked and said, this is great, but I'm not, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking in, in reading essays, and when I was in admissions, I wasn't looking for perfection to kind of mount an, an essay on my wall and say, this is the essay by which all others will be compared. <laughs> I wanted an essay that I could look and say, this sounds like a, a student that I would like to get to know. I'd like to meet them on campus and have a cup of coffee. They have things to share. Perfection never came into it. It was, was it authentic? Did it give, did the application as a whole give me a, a, a good picture of who the student is, both outside the classroom? That was my focus, not looking to say perfection.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And obviously it was a little bit of a tongue in cheek question, but same and, um, I, you know, I never saw an application that I have always in my head remembered, like, boy, that was amazing. And I can tell you that I could count on one hand the number of truly amazing pieces of writing I read when I was reading applications. And these were coming from some of the very best students in the country and the world. Um, and but they had a lot of them had successful essays but not essays that I would say to them, "Hey, you should submit this to New York, the New Yorker. This should be, you know, this belongs in uh, published work, right?" So, right. Um, and I think that's really important for everyone to keep in mind. Colleges are looking for authentic. You said authentic, so important. They want an authentic voice of a teenager sharing something important about themselves, helping them get to know a little piece of who they are, which is all you can do in an application. And if you feel like you've done that, it's probably time to press submit.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any last words for our our listeners? Um, I would just say, remember, this is an exciting time um, and, uh, you know, take it in stride and self the time to your applications over one last time. And then after you hit submit, be excited. That was an accomplishment and keep going because there's more work to be done.
1: Yes, there is lots of other applications. Joy, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Beth. All right, we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, we are talking about some of the top financial aid and just college finance myths that we hear. Um, A couple that are related, I think, to COVID, um, but just then a few others that we're hearing a lot lately. So don't go away.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more.
1: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back from our break. Thanks for joining us today. Um, We're going to dive right in. We have... Done a number of segments over time on the myths that are out there around both college admissions and also college finance, and I'm excited to welcome my colleague, who's a former financial aid officer at Northeastern University, Beth Feinberg Keenan, to the show today to talk to us about some of those finance myths. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. This is a little weird, Beth and Beth, <laughs> but um, all right. Well like I said, appreciate you joining us. So when we were thinking about, there are a lot of myths that are out there about both sides of this process, both how you're going to pay for college and also getting in. Um, But one of the things we were talking about in advance is just there are a few things that we're seeing cropping up a little bit more frequently and related to COVID and everything that's going on right now. So one of the first myths that we discussed was the idea that because um, students are attending classes remotely, either all of them or some of them, that schools are gonna be lowering their costs. Um, What are we actually seeing out there around this?
3: Um, Well, we're not necessarily seeing uh, colleges drop their prices, uh, as as many families would hope that they would uh, drop their prices. I think that we have to remember that colleges still have operating costs. Um, There's still buildings on campus that colleges have to maintain. And even if your students are attending remotely, the professors and the instructors are still teaching the classes. So they still need to make sure that they're able to support the salaries of those individuals. I mean, I have to think about it one way is, you know, colleges aren't having a party with your money. (laughs) Uh, Colleges are actually losing a lot of money themselves. I mean, think about it. If your kids are attending remote, they don't have as many students or they don't have students in the dorms. So that's a lot of revenue that colleges are, are losing. Um, some colleges also might use their space to do other programs where they don't have these types of programs on college campuses currently today with, with COVID. So I, I wouldn't anticipate, I was going to say, any discounts uh, coming through in the form of like colleges dropping their prices. But one thing I did see is uh specifically this year is some families mentioned to us that colleges were offering small discounts, uh, maybe like a thousand dollar scholarship or two thousand dollar scholarship, which you know is nice to have as to say a little bit of gift aid, but it wasn't substantial that you know you're getting like, hey, you don't have to pay half tuition because now it's being uh now it's uh remote. Right. But one of the things that I w- I did want to mention is you know as we as we continue to see numbers increase, see what the schools are thinking about doing. Are their plans going to change for the spring at all? I mean, if their plans are going to change for the spring, I don't know. Is that going to change the financial picture too? That maybe they might look at you know doing more, doing something for families if they if they're looking to go completely remote or they continue to stay remote uh, into the new year.
1: Right, and probably. I would guess, and you tell me because you're the expert on this side, but I I would think that what we might see is rather than wholesale, like, hey, we're cutting our tuition in half or we're cutting it by a quarter for everyone, is that instead what they might do is pick and choose who they're going to offer that discount to, um, the students that they would most like to have on campus, or potentially students who can negotiate a little bit extra maybe merit money. Again, won't be every college because not every college does merit money, but I, I am guessing that it's not going to be, hey, drinks on the house. It's going to be more individuals maybe getting more discounts potentially.
3: It could be. And it also could be looking at students maybe looking at transferring and they want to make sure that they're retaining these students because a semester off, a year off in terms of being on the college campus they want to welcome these students back to campus and they don't want to lose these students coming back to campus and being able to finish their degree and continue matriculating at that school. So you just keep, you know, keep your ears open and ask
1: questions. I mean, if you don't ask questions, then you're not going to know. Right, right. Exactly. And we'll be talking about this quite a bit in the winter and spring around how you go back and maybe ask for more money or negotiate for more merit aid and, we may find that some schools simply don't have it to give, they can't discount anymore, or it's going to make it impossible for them to operate, or we may find that they're super willing to engage in those conversations. So more to come on that, but I think in general, we're not expecting for all of a sudden the colleges to just cut their cut their tuitions. You're not. Another one that we're hearing is, um, and this is a really tough one, right? So uh, our hearts really go out to people whose economic situations have been completely disrupted. Um, And so a big question that we're getting or that people are assuming is, well, I lost my job because of the pandemic. So now I'm going to qualify for a ton of aid, right? Uh, And unfortunately, it's a little bit of a myth.
3: You're right, Beth. It is a little bit of a myth because I think that... What families are seeing is is they see that, hey, I no longer have a job or I have a different job with a different amount of of income that I'm bringing in. But colleges are going to look at the big picture. Um, So with loss of job could come a severance package. Uh, Many individuals were collecting unemployment. And also due to the CARES Act this year, um, individuals were able to collect additional unemployment so conversations that I've actually been having with families is when we look at the big picture and we're looking at, well, what does your income really look like? It's actually higher in some cases. Right. So, right. So, you know, in the situations where their income is higher, no, you're not going to get it. You're not going to necessarily get any more money. The other thing that we've been hearing too is colleges are still continuing to look at appeals? They're looking at change in circumstances, but if your change is due to the pandemic, they're not going to be jumping at making changes. They're asking families to hold on a little bit, to wait to see how things are going to pan out, because maybe even it's maybe just a furlough that you weren't completely let go. I was going to say downsized from your company, but. It's a short period of time. Are you going to be back to work? Have you found a new job? So if we are going to reevaluate, you know, what is your what is your income look like based on this new position, this new role that you've taken on? So yeah. I think I was going to say, Beth, I was going to say, I think I want, you know, I was going to say, I, I recommend folks to, you know, continue tuning in and, you know, staying with us and listening to other conversations that we'll have in the future. About going back and asking schools for more money. Right. Because it's going to be an ongoing conversation.
1: Right. And if you, and it's certainly possible that you might have been let go and you didn't get a severance package and the unemployment is now gone. And obviously you have operating expenses on your own lives and maybe you haven't found a new job yet. So the colleges are going to ultimately take those into consideration. But now may not be the time you're going to know that. It's probably going to be farther down. And like you say, when you know more about your own circumstances and the colleges can better understand where you're at at that point, too. So tough times, certainly, and um, not ideal times to be thinking about paying for college um, if you find yourself in that situation. Um, some some myths that I think are particularly timely, and although not necessarily at all related to what's going on currently in the world. Um, But maybe. I do think that this is going to be a big year for early decision. I think early decision, just as a refresher, is a binding early program. You only apply to one college early decision. And if they admit you, you've agreed that you're going to attend that college. Um, The reason that I think this year might be more popular than it is normally is because from a college's point of view, it eliminates at least some unpredictability. Um, because you can admit a certain percentage of your class, and pretty much hundred percent of those students are going to come. They're going to be, they're going to yield, and so now you only have to worry about getting the rest of the class in in regular decision. Um, but one myth that we do hear is this idea: Well, when I commit to the college, I'm really telling them I really want to be there, and as a result, we're going to get the most possible money because we're so committed to attending. Um, And that is generally not true. Um, What can you tell us about that?
3: I think you're spot on there, Beth. I mean, it is not true. I mean, while colleges, you know, definitely yield a portion of their class uh, through early decision, they can't spend all of their money on early decision applicants. I often, you know, encourage families to make sure that they're doing their due diligence. They're doing their research. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had this week, I was going to say, or questions that I've answered from families about applying early decision. How do we make sure that we can afford it? Is this the right choice for us in terms of getting money? Because we need money in order for our our student to be able to go early decision. And just saying to them, you know, schools aren't going to spend all of their money. So what I want families to know is do your research. One thing that I've heard this year, which I haven't heard in the past, is more schools are willing to look at doing some type of early read for students on merit money. Not all schools, but I've had a handful of parents saying, you know, I've reached out to this college and I've reached out to that college. And they're willing to look at our situation to give us an idea of what type of merit money we might expect if our student is accepted there. But Using the tools and resources, asking those questions uh, and knowing what your bottom line is. Conversation I had with a family today is, you know, they're looking at a college and merit's important to them. They said ultimately as like average merit aid was $11,000 for a $70,000 school. I was like, is that enough of a discount? Right. You know, for some families, I'm like, it's not. So you have to also know what kind of like your break even point is like, what is it going to be? What is a financial fit for your family when you're looking at this piece? Right.
1: One thing I can share is that at the most selective level at schools that don't offer any kind of merit aid, um, you are going to get. So at Penn, no merit aid. It was all based on financial need. The Ivies all do it that way. you were going to get the same package in early decision that you would get in regular decision because it was all based on a family's financial need. And so there wasn't any downside from that perspective. And the other thing to know is that most schools do have an out clause that if you can't afford it, they will release you from that early decision commitment. Um, unfortunately, the reality is that early decision is disproportionately used by students who do have the means to pay pay. Um, and it is, if you really need to compare financial aid packages, it's typically not the best way to go. Um, but I think, like what you say, read the fine print, right? Make sure there is that out clause. If you, if you, you know, no school is going to require you to go into major debt because your child decided to apply through an early program. Um, but you want to be aware of what you're signing when you when you agree to do that, right? So I think reading the fine print is super important.
3: Right. And you can always go back. I mean, that's another big question is, is families often think that, like, once a student gets admitted early decision, like, and they get their financial aid package, like, that's it. They can't necessarily go back and ask for more money. You can. Of course. You, you might can. not have anything else to, you might have nothing else to compare it to, but you still can go back and ask for more money and see if they can make that a better financial fit for your family.
1: At the end of the day, right? Exactly, because if they haven't admitted you an early decision, they're hoping that you can make it work. They don't want to um, admit you and then lose you. If they admitted you, it was because they were excited to have you on campus. So no one ever got their offer revoked by asking <laughs> a question. If we could say that every single episode, <laughs> I, we maybe we should. <laughs> All right. We have time for one more question. Um, and this one starts with my very favorite phrase of all time. We heard that anything that starts with, we heard that is usually either completely off the rails or at least partially untrue. It's usually, you know, stuff that people are hearing on the soccer field, on the sidelines, things like that. So we heard that we should wait to apply for financial aid, uh, Once we hear back on the acceptances from colleges, I have oh, I do know where they're getting this, but it's a terrible idea. Tell us why this is a myth, (laughs) Beth.
3: (laughs) It is a terrible idea. Um, You should be applying for financial aid simultaneously for applying for admission. Most colleges have deadlines and also have a limited amount of money. So if you need financial aid um, or you're hoping for some type of scholarship from schools that offer scholarships, number one, Check scholarship deadlines because I don't know how many conversations I've had with families I thought I was going to get and will come down to it and be like, you missed a deadline. Something mm. so simple. And the same thing with need-based financial assistance, colleges have priority filing deadlines for financial aid. So it's so important to make sure that you're getting those forms filled out because likely by the time that your student is accepted, that financial aid priority filing deadline has passed. And schools are going out simultaneously with acceptance packages with the financial aid and merit scholarship decisions. And so you'll find out hand in hand what, you're, what it's going to cost you to attend that school, as well as that your students has been admitted to that institution. Right.
1: And I think one of the reasons that people have this idea, this is a good idea as well, then we won't be asking for aid when we apply. And therefore, they won't we won't get dinged because we're asking for aid and then we'll wait and then we'll ask for it afterwards. But if you've missed the deadlines or the school has given away all its money, right? Then you're out of luck and you're in, but what good does it do you if you can't afford it? Exactly. Yes. Now, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks,
3: Beth. I really appreciate being here today. Have a great Great. rest of the day.
1: You too. Uh, Okay, we are going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to do this all over again, except this time on the admission side. So don't go away.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to Gettingin.voiceamerica@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back. We were talking about myths in our previous segment, and we're going to just keep talking about myths. Um, but instead of those of the finance variety, we are talking about those of the admissions variety. And joining me is my longtime colleague, Karen Spencer, who is a former admissions officer at both Georgetown and Franklin and Marshall. Hi, Karen. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. It's very nice to have you on the show today. I love being on the show,
4: although I had to shower. I didn't used to have to shower before I had on the show when we started going to Zoom, and now you make me shower, so I maybe i like, get a little less.
1: We thought our audience would like to see our faces, too, from time to time. So, <laughs> All right. Um we, when we were talking about all the different myths that are out there, we've we've covered a number of these in some previous segments. Um, but today, I was hoping to cover a few that are a little bit more recent that we're seeing crop up that are, frankly, to me, a little mystifying. I don't know where this first one is coming from. Maybe. I had never heard it before, and then suddenly this year, I'm hearing it everywhere. Um, so all I can imagine is that someone somewhere wrote a blog and took a stand and made a statement and
4: too many people read it. Too many people read
1: it. Exactly, exactly. So um I actually heard this on a call last week, and you did too, I think maybe earlier this week, but here it is. I should only list activities that are important and in which I excel or have won an award. So yeah, I played lacrosse, but I'm not really that good. I'm not a starter. I mostly sit on the bench. So I wasn't planning on including that in my activities list.
4: Right. The- I heard this too, and I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why all of a sudden. I don't why, what does this have to do with the pandemic? Like, it seems too correlated, but I don't understand why. It because they don't make any sense. Um, in my rule of voice, thumb has always been, and it hasn't changed this year, if you've done it since the ninth grade, put it down, Okay. Keep in mind, like, it's, this is what I don't understand. Like, people are like, well, I'm much better at theater than I am at, you know, you know. to your point, like, say, playing lacrosse. I'm like, well, I don't, if you're not a theater, like, a lot of these things you're not going to be doing in the same capacity in college anyway. Like, that's not always the point. The point is that you weren't an active and engaged high school student, which makes me believe you will be an active and engaged college student, maybe in the same kinds of ways, maybe in different ways, right? But, you know, 2% of high school athletes play college sports. So 98% of you weren't doing this here anyway, at least right. not in a you know varsity capacity. So that was never an issue about what we thought, you know, you were so I don't understand this at all. So my my advice still stands. If you've done it since the ninth grade, put it down.
1: Yeah, this is madness. I don't know any other way <laughs> to put it than that. <laughs> there are 10 spots available on the common application. There are more on the UC application. Um, if you don't have 10 things, not a problem. That's that is not a problem. But if you have ten and you're only listing four because you're under the misguided assumption that well they only really want to hear about what I've really been committed to, put
4: Absolutely. that away immediately and like and you tell said, your friends to put that away immediately.
1: Exactly. If you've done it since ninth grade, now yes, do you want to lead with the stuff that you've been most involved in um, and maybe you have excelled at? Absolutely, but. It should be on there regardless. If you did it, put it on there. Agreed. That's, can't can't Agreed. say it? Yes. So one thing that actually has come up related to this, and this isn't really a myth, it's more of a people don't really know what to do. Um, a number of students maybe had lined up some really interesting things to do with their summer, or they had planned to play a spring sport. I Lacrosse comes up because my son was going to um, play lacrosse as a 10th grader. He hadn't played as a ninth grader. Um, all of that obviously went... And didn't happen. So what what are your thoughts on putting something down that you had intended to do, but COVID prevented it?
4: Right. I mean, I think you can absolutely mention that, like, either in the additional information section. Um, Some people are putting it in the COVID section because they don't really have anything to put in the COVID section, which, by the way, is fine. I'm sure you've already discussed this on a radio show. But if you want to put it there, I think you can just say I had intended to do the blah, 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 whatever the blah, blah, blah was, you know, but due to COVID, I was unable or we had to go online or whatever it is that happened to it. It doesn't have to be a whole deal. Just put it down like it was supposed to happen and we'll know about it, right? It's not your fault it didn't happen. I also don't need the woe is me. Like, it was so tragic that I could, I got it. Just put down the activity, move on. Right, Exactly. Um, so because as,
1: as one of our colleagues said, it's not like all the work that went into getting that internship suddenly disappears because the internship itself didn't happen. So there's no harm, right, in mentioning it. And I, I think that's a really good idea. Um, you don't have to but if you want to, you can. (laughs) So one, and and the reason I, the only reason I specify that is because I have had students who pivoted, so who planned to do one thing, but then that didn't work out. So then they did something else and the something else they did was super interesting. So, you know, I think if, when you have interesting things to write about, you don't have to add the stuff that you didn't get to do, but you can. All right. Next one. Um, also very much related to the times that we are in, um, we are seeing many, many, many colleges go test optional, um, some even test blind where they won't even look at scores, even if you have them. Um, and then what we're seeing is people thinking that activities and essays are suddenly going to become a much no, bigger part right, of the process than they normally have been. What's your take on this one?
4: So that's funny because my one o'clock call today said those exact words. She's like, so my essay is going to be way more important. I'd I'm be like, incorrect. Um, so the first thing I always remind people is that test optional is not new, right? Test optional is simply new to these some of these colleges, right? So people have been doing this. For a while. Right. And I will say I worked at a test optional college 20 years ago when I worked at Franklin and Marshall. And, you know, so I I know of which I speak. Right. So anytime someone goes test optional and you're not submitting testing, whether you actually couldn't take it or you did and just didn't like your scores. Right. We're going to double down on your transcript. right? Right. Period. That's what we're doing, right? Because you've removed 50% of generally the academic information we normally looked at. And so if you remove that 50%, I'm going to have to spend twice as much time on this document over here, right? Sometimes students would be like, oh, I'm so glad I applied this school test optional. My testing isn't great. This is back before COVID. And I'm like, yeah, but your transcript isn't great either. Like, right. <laughs> this, is, this is not helping you. Um, so if your transcript, like, test optional is really helping those students who had a fantastic transcript perhaps not great testing or simply did in this case, didn't get to test test, which is a lot of you, by the way, Um, you're not alone. Um, And so if you're that student for whom you have a great transcript, this is a great option for you. Um, But it doesn't mean all of a sudden your essays are worth three times what they used to be. That's not true. Right now, might I look at your teacher recs a little bit more closely just to see like, you know, intellectual curiosity, anything else that can talk to your intellectual abilities, because again, I am missing this this somewhat large detail for a lot of schools. Sure, I might be looking at even a little bit more closely, but I was probably reading them to begin with, right? So they were already a piece of the puzzle. They're just still a piece of the puzzle.
1: Right, exactly. I think the key to this myth is the idea that somehow those pieces will be much more important Um, whereas they really, all it really does is make the transcript most important. And, you know, one thing you mentioned was the academic record. So we often talk about the quantitative versus the qualitative, and there are definitely a number of schools out there that do primarily a quantitative evaluation. So most of their decision is grades, rigor, and test scores. And so you have, in that sense, you know, cut out one of those pieces, um, but I don't think that they're suddenly going to introduce um, the idea that that the other pieces now are so much more important. They're just like what you said. They're going to throw more emphasis on that transcript. That's what they're going to use. Um, and I think the other uh, point you made when we were talking earlier. So at Penn, you're ranking each individual section of the application. There's a qualitative ranking that students get. I'm sorry. There's a quantitative ranking, an academic rating, if you will. There's a rating assigned to the recommendation letters. There's a rating assigned to the essay, to the activities. So all that's going to happen is that academic rating is only going to be based on the rigor and the grades that you earned. It just won't include the test scores, but it's still going to be your academic rating and it's still going to be counted proportionally the same as the other stuff, right? right? right. That's right. on there. So um, I think hand in hand with this is the idea and this is a, a favorite uh, that you, this is the year to apply to all the Ivies because you never know my least favorite. Well, you never
4: know. Well, actually we do. We do, do. Know. actually, you might, but we do. Yes.
1: Right. Exactly. And so what, what is your, you know, what do you think about that, that somehow, because now testing isn't, isn't considered that you, this is
4: the year to apply to the Ivies. Listen, I understand we are all in kind of, on chartered waters here. I get it. This is all new. I love it when people are like, so what is going to happen? I'm like, have I ever lived through a pandemic before? No, (laughs) no, I haven't. So I don't know. Um, But I can tell you are some things that really don't change in a pandemic, right? Like what the Ivies are looking for or the pseudo Ivies or whatever even is a huge reach for you. It doesn't even have to be the Ivy. It could be whatever's a huge reach for you, right? Are looking for the same things they were looking for before yes right so i know you've talked on your show a lot about you know how colleges um of that super selective variety are generally looking for what we call a distinguishing excellence right in other words why do i need to take you and not the last nine kids i read that looked also fantastic right what right. are you so phenomenal at that i just feel compelled to take you right if you don't have that thing your your SATs weren't your problem right like there's all these other things or for reasons that students get into the Ivy League or super selective colleges get in there with right testing was one of those pieces but most of the kids who apply to the Ivies have the testing needed to get in right so right. that was just one piece they have all these other pieces that are phenomenal right and so I think you have to think am I that student for whom I actually do have that I am I mean, when you think about phenomenal, I would never describe myself as phenomenal. Okay, maybe that's also why I didn't go to the Ivy League, which is fine. I'm clearly a gamefully employed human being, but like, I don't, I, I, didn't do something in a phenomenal way, right? And so, if you do something in a phenomenal way, you are a nationally ranked something, you are a state champion, and what you know, or do have some kind of distinguishing excellence, and you've got a killer transcript, and really, the only piece that was missing from really being a contender was your testing. For that small sliver of the population, sure, this is probably a good year for you or a, yes. a best year for you. Yes. For the rest of you, if, if yeah, the testing was never great, but you're also not outstanding in these kind of other capacities. And I'm not trying to be snarky, but, I mean, for schools that take 5% of the applicant pool, right? I mean, I always tell a student, like, do you think you're, like, one of the best 5% of students? in the world, like think about like what that means, right? Like, again, there's a reason I didn't apply because I knew that was not me. So, um, you know, I think, does that describing you in every other capacity? If it's not, then this is still not a year for you, right? You're still not a competitor in in that environment.
1: Right, exactly. I think this is definitely a year where we may see that some schools are just a little bit easier to get into, but you still need to find your sweet spot. And for students who weren't even... Considering the IVs before, for all the reasons that you just laid out, that hasn't changed just because now they're not going to be looking at the test scores that weren't quite there. If the rest is not quite there, then you're not quite there. Exactly. (laughs) And also probably unsurprising to everyone out there, um, the IVs are likely to be one of the least impacted by all of this. Right. Um, they're going to be able to fill their class, even yeah. if it's going to be remote for another year. They're still still know, there. People are still going to Yale. They're still going to go to Stanford. Yeah. Um, they're still going to be applying. So I just don't think we're going to see massive, massive changes there. That's right. Last one, because we actually have a little bit of time for this. Not much, though. Us. So, <laughs> I know. Um, And this is also related to COVID-19. And this is around, um, you know, we talk about demonstrated interest, which is basically engaging with a college in advance of applying um, and in some cases after applying uh, so that they know you actually are really interested and you're not just throwing in an application. Um, And I think generally we all agree that the best way to demonstrate interest typically is visiting. However, right now, not really possible. And so we're hearing from people, well, I don't need to worry about that. I can't visit. They know I can't visit. So no big deal.
4: However, not true. What can That's you tell right. us about that? So at that night, my same one o'clock call said the same thing to me. She was like, well, I am really done any of the research because, you know, we can't visit. So kind of thing. I was like, eh, wrong answer. Yeah. Um, Really, it has never and listen, I agree. There's no replacement for the college visit. There just isn't. That sucks. I'm with you, but you can't do anything about it. So what you can do though is, I mean, listen, we've been living in, you know, these conditions for seven, eight months. The colleges have put together a very robust online um, you know, platform to listen to an admissions officer, give an information session, which by the way is the same information whether you were sitting listening to it online or in the admissions office. Like that information hasn't changed. So right. you it would behoove you to listen to that. Um, You know, there's some virtual tours. Admittedly, some of these are better than others. Some of them are great. Some of them are like, yeah, these are not great. But a lot of colleges who used to track what we call demonstrated interest are tracking whether or not you've done these things. And to be honest, there's really no reason you have it. Most students have had an abundant amount of free time since march more than they would have normally you can do this on a saturday right you you don't have to make an appointment sunday in your pajamas you could be watching that information session and again a lot of these schools are tracking to see if you've done so the same way they would have said did you visit us right and again in this case there's really no reason you haven't so if you haven't done these things you need to do so kind of asap yes totally
1: agree um get on mailing lists actually Uh, my son and I did a Penn state info session last night. It was kind of cool. We didn't have to go anywhere. We literally fired up his computer, logged in at eight. We were done at nine. It was actually kind of nice. And then I didn't have to like slog through a tour, which I've done probably too many of those in my time, but, um, and they're, and they, they're doing a better job of this because of the times that we have to, right. I know exactly. Um, Karen, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it.
4: Nice to be on, nice to see you, literally.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, and for all of you who are listening to this and not having any idea what you're, we're talking about, we do tape these and we put them up on our YouTube channel so you can see us while we talk. All right, next week I am back, it's our 300th show. We're talking supplemental essays for the University of Washington, including their honors program and Arizona State's honors program. And we're answering your question, questions. If you have them, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com or send them in via our Facebook page or Instagram, collegecoachbh. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern.